0: Are you ready to leave a safety legacy? Your legacy success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to the Safety
1: Guru, May's Mental Health Awareness Month. Today, very excited. I have a great guest on our show. Uh, Her name is Anna Faringa. She's a workplace mental health consultant with a background in organizational psychology, has uh, been in the field for well over 18 years. Uh, She's also a global top 10 LinkedIn voice of 2022, and a leading expert in mental health. So very good to have you on the show today. Uh, I'd love to get started maybe with a bit of a background as to how did you get passionate about this space, mental health, and we'll obviously talk about mental health and safety.
2: Thanks, Eric. It's an absolute pleasure to be on, and a very warm welcome to all our listeners. So thank you for joining us. Uh, Look, the field of workplace mental health, it's a pretty hot topic
1: Mm. now. Yes.
2: (laughs) 18 years ago, not so much, so... Uh, But, you know, particularly in Australia, um, it's become certainly top of policy, forefront of mind. But um, how I got into it, it's a really interesting question, Eric. You know, I I went through university with these grandiose ideas of becoming a criminal psychologist and (laughs) uh, spent a lot of time in, you know, our glorious Australian prisons and so forth, had an absolute ball, but sort of looked at all the psychologists around me that were 30 years my senior, and I'm like... They were just completely devoid of emotion, and I'm like, I kind of want to be able to feel empathy in 30 years, so I'm going to switch. <laughs> and I ended up going into the personal injury field, and what that means, because it's quite a a conflated topic. Sure. What that means here in Australia is, I was working in the field of both uh, post-motor vehicle accident and workplace injury. So, right. um, having a look at you know all the types of you know uh, particular mental conditions, psychological conditions that can result after being exposed to trauma. Sure. Uh, So that sort of led me down a lot of years in the insurance path, uh, personal injury, regulatory uh, explorations, legislation, or the very thin legislation that existed in Australia at the time, and I kind of just spat out at the end as a a bit of a mixed bucket of knowledge, and I'm like, right, well... Rather than responding to injuries once they've occurred, particularly Mm. in the workplace, what's going on in the prevention space? And there was this massive gap, and there still is this massive gap. So that's what keeps me very busy as a workplace mental health consultant is getting in and working with workplaces to help them firstly understand what it means and also the benefits and consequences of... um, either proactively engaging in uh, Mm -hmm. good mental health and good work design or not. So uh, it is one of the leading causes of disability across the globe. It is costing the globe in excess of $6 trillion a year in lost productivity, injury recovery expenses, turnover, you name it. So it's a really big industry for making sure that workplaces have more knowledge and better structure around how to keep their people safer whilst they do their role.
1: Excellent. A great segue into first theme I'd like to touch on, which is really mental health is, is not separate from safety. Uh, so can you expand in terms of the linkage? Because a lot of organizations look at mental health on, on one side in HR and then they'll have safety separately looking at how do I prevent injuries. Tell me a little bit about the link between both.
2: Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, firstly, if someone could take their brain out of their body and sit it next to them, and go, this is a separate entity to my body, <laughs> then that's my first linkage, Eric, is no one can be 100% safe in any workplace if they're not healthy, both mind and body. Right. So it is absolutely a safety issue. Um, for far too long, and it continues to be, it's been, okay, let's keep everyone physically safe. Let's, let's invest in education. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure that there's a bunch of liability around keeping someone physically safe. But um, this whole wellness of the mind piece, we'll just uh, chuck some yoga at them and maybe a few fruit boxes <laughs> and call them a benefit. But, you know, if you at any stage get depressed or anxious at work, it's really got nothing to do with us. Um, we just hope that you make the right decisions whilst you continue to decline in your cognitive abilities. Right. So, um, and, you know, we, we, we affectionately refer to it as psychosocial ergonomics. And that is, you know, if someone's not well in the mind for whatever for whatever reason they're more inclined to make poor decisions, which is Mm -hmm. resulting in physical injuries and human error. And, you know, so they are absolutely linked. Like a fruit box and a a resilience training session is not working. And, you know, I I challenge anyone to show me the evidence that it is working. And when I say working, I mean, it is not preventing injury. It's simply just helping them recover Mm -hmm. and then chucking stuff back into the fry pan, where they got injured in the first place. Sure. So it's like this vicious little cycle of we'll fix you, but we won't change the environment. So with physical safety, if something is allegedly going to cause someone harm, Mm -hmm. then workplaces jump to it. They fix it. They assess how things can be be done differently. Whereas we're not there with mental health yet. We're we're 30 years behind where physical safety is. But if we don't treat mental health along the same hierarchy as safety then we're going to see a lot more people become very, very ill. We're going to see companies go backwards both in ROI and reputation and um, basically fail to be enterprise-ready for the future. So, you know, this is a big thing, and it absolutely is safety, and until it's recognised as safety, people are going to be falling at the forefront of poor mental health in workplaces and suffering the consequences for it.
1: And I think from from what you're sharing, and I've definitely seen data to that effect, when... when, uh... When you've got people that are, if you don't, if you're not addressing the well-being, the mental health component, you're also going to have more workplace injuries. Uh, so, so it's also a way to get to the next plateau of, of injury reduction.
2: Absolutely, I mean, you, you've just nailed it, Eric. There's, there's no other way to explain it. Healthy mm. people work better, are right. better, perform better. Yes. Um, and when I say perform, look, it's great to hit targets but it's also great to come home safely and every employer really has the responsibility to keep their their employees safe to the point where it's reasonable and practicable of course we can't uh we don't have a silver bullet for everyone
0: yep
2: um and there's things beyond employers controls but at this stage nothing's really in place anywhere (laughs) so i mean there's efforts there's intentions a lot of workplaces are well intended Hmm. but um, we're still waiting our way through what really works. And I'm sure that, you know, you and I'll branch out into that later, but um, Hmm. it is a very infantile space, but yet such an urgent one.
1: Absolutely. So you've touched on the value of addressing mental health uh, from the trillions that are being lost. You've touched on the impact on physical safety. What else can we add to the case for mental health focus in a workplace?
2: oh god there's
1: bucket loads
2: <laughs> I guess the question is do you want to talk about the consequences or do you want to talk about the benefits because there's plenty of both so, right. Um, I guess I'll just start with the with the benefits and that is if you're people working in a well-designed role it all really comes down to work design and that is kind of the bit that freaks companies out and I mean that respectfully to our listeners mm. and that is that's a lot of work to do. We can't reevaluate how work is done. It's just too much of a disruption sure. to the business. So my response to that is: um, Can everyone just take a look at what companies did two years ago?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We cater for a pandemic. We literally flipped companies on their heads in two seconds to keep production happening yep. and to keep people safe. So. Companies are really running out of excuses with the no budget, no time, no resources to reevaluate how work mm. is done to keep you safer, because your staff have seen you do it, right. um, and and so one of the one of the consequences is that staff will simply move on to mm. another employer where they feel safer, um, and that's why you know we've got the great resignation sweeping the globe because people have realised they don't really have to stay. There's exceptional circumstances, right. of course. but if I don't have to stay in a place that I hate or that I feel unsafe in or that I'm working in a role that is burning me out and no one's doing anything about it because they're of the attitude that, well, that's just the the way it's always been done. If you can't do it, there's the door. The benefit of investing in this kind of area is you're going to get better talent acquisition. Mm -hmm. You're going to get uh, better people that are a better job fit. You're going to get people that work well for you. Um, And if you're not prepared in this industry then um, buckle up because you're going to get a bunch of people that are not going to be fit for your role. Your um, personal injury or compensation claims, depending on what scheme you're under, are going to skyrocket. Your culture is going to suffer, which Mm. is going to impact your bottom line, which is going to cost you money anyway. So (laughs) it's about, you know, investing a little to save a lot, you know. So the benefits are you will be competitive. You'll have better people. You will have higher production. Mm. Um, you know, you will have less injuries, you will have a better culture. And that all really serves, you know, with a bunch of evidence base to suggest that that's what good work looks like.
1: Right. We'll dive into the topic of work design soon because I think it's important for listeners to understand what it means. Um, But as we, before we go there, one topic that is emerging definitely in Australia is starting to emerge in other locations is the concept of psychosocial risk. Yeah. Can you tell me more what what is it, big words, uh, but a lot of people still haven't heard of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's become legislation in Australia, Eric, and half mm. the people still don't know what it means. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it's actually in our basic fundamental laws now, and people are like, what does psychosocial mean? So basically what psychosocial risk is, is anything that could potentially cause you a mental injury or mental harm. Okay. So, you know, it's like you and I walking on a mine site and a particular pathway to an open cup mind has not been clearly identified. Therefore, the risk to you and I, Eric, is one of us is likely to become injured. Sure. Um, so psychosocial risk is anything that in the course of work or in the course of the environment or in the course of interpersonal activity between people, co-workers, managers, staff, that can cause someone to become mentally harmed. Um, so, but then I'm, I'm I'm a very big stickler for terms. And I, again, I, I sat on a round table last night. Um, and again, what we had to do was clean up language. So mm-hmm. people are using psychosocial risk and psychological safety as one term. They are absolutely fundamentally related, but to different, different constructs. Right. So psychosocial risk is anything throughout the course of employment, interpersonal, or environmental that can harm you. Yep. Psychological safety is creating a workplace where people feel safe enough to voice their opinion, raise risk without fear of retribution. Right. So you can't have one without the other. You kind of need to clean up your psychosocial risks before you can achieve what I call the pinnacle or the oracle. And that is a psychologically safe workplace. So, um, you know, psychosocial risk really is just like a physical safety risk, but it relates to the mind.
1: So so what are some of the mitigating factors that organizations can can explore? Because this is a fairly broad yeah. definition of a risk uh, in terms of everything that could harm you is quite broad.
2: It is, and it's also very subjective. Right. Um, so I guess, and again, this is such a, an infantile space, so I'd love to turn around and go, here's A to Z mitigation strategies, <laughs> Eric. Here they are. I, like, Globe, please learn them, right? But... You know, we've got all, in Australia, we're, we're sort of, you know, understanding the concept that, okay, it is now in our work health safety legislation that employers need to be proactive in mitigating risk. Sure. And everyone's sort of just looking at each other going, okay, great laws, but how, how do we do that exactly? <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, we're seeing this, this area of um, psychosocial risk assessments starting to emerge, you know, and there's good ones and there's not so good ones. Um, you know, as, as with any sort of new concept that's been born. So I guess one of the mitigating factors would be to pick up one of these psychosocial risk assessments. And there's many of them. I would just plug it into Google and see what comes up because it's going to vary from country to country. Sure. I mean, I could make some great recommendations in Australia, but I'm not here to do that today. But um, So what that means for our listeners is you need to talk to your people and ask them, you know, what is your risk tolerance? If you're working in retail and getting abused up 10 mm-hmm. times a day, um, sure, there's a, there's a factor in there that we can't necessarily control, but you know, what are we doing afterwards? I mean, if you're working in emergency services, you're going mm. to see a lot of trauma. We can't necessarily control that, but what we can control is how much access are they getting? How much exposure are they getting? How can we control that and rotate that? How are we checking in on our people to make sure that they're coping? How are we monitoring our appropriate leave and downtime and debriefing? Or has all all, all of that become sort of automated? So step one, consider a psychosocial risk assessment. Um, Within those risk assessments, people are consulted anyway, but there's other ways you can talk to your people. And thirdly, you need to make sure that your leaders are, in some shape, way or form, provided the skill to be able to have a conversation with their team and their people. So firstly, they need to understand what psychosocial risk is
0: mm-hmm.
2: before they can inquire about it with their people in, in a safe and protected way. So uh, we can't really mitigate risks that we don't know are there and the best way to identify risk is by talking to people, mm-hmm. talking to staff, going, you know, what's, what's tolerable, what's not tolerable? How's the role designed? Do you have any suggestions about the way it can be done better? Because... That's where a lot of particularly Australian companies are finding or farming the gold. Is wow, our staff that we press play on every day actually have some pretty great ideas about how we can better improve psychosocial safety. So, um, definitely risk assessments, definitely staff consultation in whatever form, focus groups, um, you know, the good old survey. But, Mm -hmm. you know, companies tend to eye roll a little bit around surveys, but. You know, it's it's important that however you can gather that information because that's where you'll start to identify gaps and that's where you'll start to identify risk. Sure. Um, like you said before, Eric, it is a really complex field because it's subjective. So what a lot of organisations are doing is sort of gathering what the main risks are. So, you know, there might be some outliers right. of, of people getting stressed for different reasons, but okay... A lot of our staff in this division are burnt out for this reason. Well, let's just have a look at this reason, not 50 million different reasons as to why I'm burnt out. If there's a a theme or a pattern, if you like, they're they're, they're chunking it down that way. But it's a long process. It's not going to happen overnight. And a good risk assessment isn't just done once. It's it's continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. They're run regularly. But I guess the next battle is, okay. we've run a risk assessment, therefore we can prove that we're risk-adverse... Well, no, because a lot of a lot of companies misconstrue the fact of assessment as intervention. When you get that information, you kind of got to do stuff with
1: it, right? You have to. It's no different than safety culture assessment. You got to you got you're assessing where you are at to understand your themes, and then you build a strategy to execute, and then you retest. Have I made a difference?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I mean. Probably to soothe our listeners as well Mm. because I'm probably making this sound very complicated and the world of psychology is not linear. But if you're a safety professional listening today, it really is just approaching psychosocial risk in a way that's very, very similar to the way that we've practiced physical safety. Mm. You know, it is about consult. It's about identify. It's about analyse. It's about respond. It's about evaluate. It's about change. And then it's about repeat. So um, there, you really don't have to look at psychosocial safety as a completely different construct with how we mitigate. It's mm. A lot of the themes that are coming through, particularly here in Australia, is the more similar you can keep it to physical safety, you're kind of on your way.
1: Right.
0: This episode of the Safety Guru Podcast is brought to you by Propolo Consulting,
2: the leading safety and safety culture advisory firm. Whether you are looking to assess your safety culture, develop strategies to level up your safety performance, introduce
0: human performance capabilities, re-energize your BBS program, enhance supervisory safety capabilities, or introduce unique safety
2: leadership training and talent solutions, Propolo, Propolo has, you has you covered. Visit us
1: at propolo.com. You touched on a, an approach around work design. And I think yeah. work design is key. You alluded to a few examples, I think, in terms of the rotation of, of if I'm dealing with certain critical yeah. stressors that maybe I'm rotating through and I'm not spending the entire day dealing with it. Tell me more about what that could look like in terms of the work design, because I agree with you. Work can be redesigned. We've proved it a few years ago when yeah. everybody went remote.
2: <laughs> absolutely. So it, it absolutely can be done. Um, the reason why it's it's not now is because of just the perceived complexity. Mm. Um, I mean, you and I could tease apart 50 million roles and what that looks like, but that's not why we're, we're sure. here today. It's basically to sell the message that your people will continue to perform half-mast your people will continue to become mentally unwell in poorly designed roles. Sure. Uh, and when I say poorly designed, at one stage they'll probably wonderfully design roles, but like life, everything evolves.
1: Mm.
2: And so, you know, it's about designing work that's good for people. Um, and, and like anything, you need to get in there and have a look at the way roles are done Because at the moment, what I'm seeing, and I call it your sort of primary, secondary and tertiary response, right? And we've got a bunch of employers, particularly in Australia and around the world, that are investing in the tertiary stuff, right? Which is, you know, um, in Australia, we've got employee assistance programs, you know, which is, okay, work's pretty much screwed you up. You're pretty (laughs) unwell. Um, Here's a number that you can call and talk to a clinical psychologist and get a little bit better, and then we're going to chuck you back into that same role and just watch you re-injure. Also, we're going to bring in a keynote speaker that's Mm. going to tell you about their journey of mental health, which absolutely has a place, but it's not fixing the direct linear causal factor of why these people are becoming unwell, and that centres around how work is done. Mm. So I say they're tertiary interventions. They absolutely have a place, but they're very reactionary where, you know, primary is about prevention and mm. secondary is about early intervention and tertiary is about all the f- uh, pure reactionary stuff that we, we do to help people. But the focus shouldn't be on fixing people. Mm. The focus should be on reevaluating and and redesigning the environment so we don't really have people to fix, right. <laughs> you know. So um, it really does uh, mean, you know work design really needs to sit squarely in the prevention area and that's where we're going to see people really start to improve in their mental health, really start to work well, hang around with your company longer. You're Mm. going to have less turnover costs. You're going to have less, I call it the HR bottleneck, where people are tired, they're burnt out, they're working in roles that they don't have a say in how it's Mm. designed. They're overworked, they're underworked, they're exposed to trauma. Well... How can we get in there and fix this up a little bit? sure, and when was the last conversation at the board level about around why this is important because money is important, mm-hmm. competition and growths important. well, you kind of need healthy people to in order to help you do that into the future. Mm-hmm. so you know I call you know it's it's the key to growth is healthy people
1: <laughs> But it's interesting because as you share these examples, I'm also thinking that a lot of the work that's designed is designed by process engineers, people that are really looking at how do I optimize, which often means how do I create an assembly line that repeats, 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 which is not necessarily good for the well-being of people. But that tends to be how work gets redesigned or in HR functions that start looking at work structure, which again, doesn't look at uh, the person, it looks at how do I do this more efficiently.
2: Absolutely. And so that's the new concept of work design, Hmm. right? So you know, all of those structural and very talented people absolutely have a role in in how work's done, but we need to make it almost transdisciplinary. Right. And that is, okay, so here's how the role can be done to its ultimate functionality, Mm -hmm. but what's the impact on human health here? Right. So it really does need to be, a a, you know, a a transdisciplinary approach where you've got um, some people that are potentially upskilled in the psychosocial risk area and go, okay well, we can stick someone behind a conveyor belt for nine hours a day on repetition. So not only are they probably risking a repetitive strain sure. injury, but they're also going to become incredibly disengaged, which means they're going to start underperforming, which mm-hmm. means they're going to start, you know, heading down the path of what poor mental health looks like. And I'm not necessarily diagnosing anyone because yep. mental health is a spectrum, but everyone needs an engaged employee to make sure that their mind is well enough to continue to make good decisions. hmm so, and again, that that's that direct link back to injury, right, or, or poor performance, which, you know, frightens companies. So when you're looking at redesigning work, make sure you've got the right heads in the room that have a say and not just make it about process, but make it about healthy functionality as well. Because even if you strip back a process 20%, which means, okay, great, we're going to lose 20% of our production, well, actually, over the course of the year, mm. you're turnover rates are going to halve the employees that you do have are going to perform better which means ultimately what you're designing here you're going to get anyway if not double or triple that you're not going to be able to achieve that what the structural engineer said if you're burning people out Mm -hmm. um not giving them appropriate respite um not actually giving them the value add piece in in giving them a say in how their roles are done Mm -hmm. um you're going to end up, you call it the financial proverbial bubble. It looks great and shiny and well-designed in the beginning, but watch people drop off over time right. if we're not considering human health factors in the, in, in the, um, in the initial stages of, of how we design work.
1: Absolutely. So you touched on the importance of boards, the board's involvement in executives. Yeah. Let's double-click on that one.
2: Yeah. Well, that's kind of, you know, that, that's the biggest barrier because, I mean, it's getting a bit easier in Australia because they have to do it now. (laughs) It's not just a value add. Like the last 18 years in the field, Eric, I I call it, you know, 16 years of convincing. And now it's law. Well, it's, you know, and, you know, however it gets in the building, I don't really care, to be honest, because I know that people are going to benefit from it. But boards and and, and trusts and executives or C-suite or whatever terminology you want to bring to it, um look some of them are engaged but even with laws here in australia they're still not engaged really um but yeah they, they find it confusing they find it expensive they find hmm. it disruptive um so you know unfortunately just like anything we're going to we're going to see a couple of really big pieces of case law drop um, right. where you know directors are imprisoned because there's jail time linked to wow. um Poor, poor, poor psychosocial risk management now. Um, you know, we had two senior managers in Victoria, Australia, were jailed last year. So um, they're not mucking around with this stuff. But even then, you know, getting it in front of the board and, and, and getting them to buy into this, and I know it's incredible, it's a lot harder in other countries where it's not legislated. Correct. But it's about, you know, if they if there are people listening in that have a, a an interest with this, then the four Cs, I call it, mm-hmm. And that is, what's the cost? And to sell what the cost is, well, let's have a look at our absenteeism rates, our turnover rates, our production rates, our um, injury claims, if that particular scheme exists in your respective country. Um, Let's have a look at retraining costs, because all that is costing millions.
1: Of course.
2: I mean, you know, the Gallup Institute said a burnt out employee will actually cost a company three times their salary. Wow. That's one burnt-out human, right? Um, so there's absolutely cost, whether it's direct or indirect associated. So if you're able to tell that story via data, mm. that's really, really good. That's gonna, that's gonna, you know, that's gonna appease the CFO. Right. That's gonna appease everyone that's just sort of going, okay, well, how much is going to cost and why? And why do we need to give you budget? Mm-hmm. To I get a little bit cheeky here. Why do we need to pay to keep humans safe? And that just boggles <laughs> my mind. But anyway, it is what it is. Uh, The second one is culture, right? So we've got cost, we've got culture. So if you've got a better culture, that's just all senses of goodness, right? Right. Which I've discussed. I won't be be repetitive, but, you know, teams are going to toxify less. People are going to have better relationships with their leaders. People are going to feel safe enough to speak up about risk early on rather than becoming incredibly injured. And you're either losing an employee or paying for one to get well. Mm -hmm. So you want a really good culture. And also, as younger workforces flow into workplaces, which is unavoidable, they're actually coming in and asking questions. They're like, okay, well, I've got three other interviews today. Um, <laughs> how is your company going to keep me psychologically safe? Because you've said there's a few risks involved with this role, and I'm prepared mm-hmm. to take those on. But what are you going to do for me? Right. How are you going to keep me safe? Because you've clearly outlined how you're going to keep me physically safe. You might give me the appropriate PPE. Mm-hmm. You might give me X, Y, Z. But how are you going to keep me psychologically safe. And if employers aren't able to answer that, they're going to go and work for the company that can. So there is talent acquisition, being enterprise ready, getting the right fit for the right role in the organization. That's really appealing to boards and executives. Um, Then we've got competition, which kind of interludes Mm -hmm. with what I just said. You know, you need to, you want to be competitive. You need the right people in your organisation to continue to keep your competitive edge. And if they're mm-hmm. all going to work with the other other organisation that does give a hoot about people's mental health, then you're absolutely not going to be enterprise ready for the future. You're going to struggle. You know, there's a, there's, um, there's a, lo- a lot of evidence to say, like, if you don't get behind this, you're pretty much going to be dead in the water in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Because particularly the younger workforce, and I don't mean to be age bias here, sure. but you know, younger people are getting more education around mental health and what that looks like earlier on. I mean, mm. Eric, when you and I were at school, we didn't talk about mental health. Nope. <laughs> it sort of didn't exist where it's, you know, and where it's very much on um, the younger workers' dialect and it's very much not, not necessarily a benefit but a right. right. It's I have a right to be safe. And so, again, competition, if you want to be competitive and keep those doors open, you need to embrace this stuff because it's not going away. Right. Just because it's not legislated doesn't mean you don't have to do it. Right. Think about the longevity of your organisation. And then, look, the, the, the final C word doesn't actually apply in a lot of countries. It applies here, mm. thank goodness, and that is compliance. Right. Um, whereas I know that a lot of listeners today won't have that card to play, but if you can get your head around the costs, the culture, and and maintaining competitive in this market, then you've got a fairly... Fairly good business right. case. But like anything, Eric, a lot of companies won't have won't do something unless they have to do it. And that's just, you know, age-old human learning, isn't it? Unfortunately, <laughs> and,
1: yes. But...
2: But yeah, I know. And it's not, it's not a pleasant thing, but, you know, I'm not going to call it for anything else that it's not. Right. But, uh, yeah, so if you can focus on the first three Cs for those of you that aren't based in Australia and for those that are based in Australia, you've definitely got the compliance card now. So, you know, director, how about we keep you out of prison and yes. do stuff? Which <laughs> so, tends to work. <laughs> yeah, it tends to be a fairly hefty stick.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, so Anna, thank you so much for, for coming on the show, sharing your insights. I think it's a critically important topic, uh, both for safety professionals and for leaders, organizations in general, to really start looking at psychological safety, overall uh, mental health and well-being, as you talked about, the psychosocial different concepts I hear more and more people talking about psychological safety not enough on the psychosocial side of the equation Uh, I think it's really important to touch on those topics if somebody wants to reach out to you to get more insights to have you present at a conference how can they do that
2: well strap yourself in because I'm pretty loud and pretty proud
1: (laughs) (laughs) perfect thank you so much Anna
2: my pleasure Eric
0: Thank you for listening to The Safety Guru on C-Suite Radio. Leave a legacy. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Grow your success. Capture the hearts and minds of your teams. Elevate your safety. Like every successful athlete, top leaders continuously invest in their safety leadership with an expert coach to boost safety performance. Begin your journey at execsafetycoach.com. Come back in two weeks for the next episode with your host, Eric Macrowski. This podcast is powered by Propolo Consulting.